Hi, Tom. Uh, do I just kick off now, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Noreen. I'm an alcoholic. I'm glad to be here. Glad to be sober. Um, as you can tell, I well, as Tom said, I live in the UK, but I'm a Paddy at heart, and I will be a Paddy until the day I die, no matter if I stayed in the UK for the rest of my life. I'm green as they come and very proud to be Irish. And I'm delighted that we have um, free thinkers or secular. I would, I would the excitement when I saw this popping up one day um, that there was secular A in Ireland. I, nearly, I was actually sitting on my bed. I nearly fell off the bed with excitement um, because it just wasn't a thing when I was getting sober at home. Um, it was all godology and and I'm not going to, I'm not an AA, traditionally basher. I'm not that kind of a person because if it wasn't for traditionally, I'd be dead. And that's a fact. Um, I, I'm not going to go into the deep depths of my drinking because we all know how to drink and we all know where it brought us. But just a bit of history, I grew up in Mayo, which is in the, it's in the West Coast. It's absolutely stunning, but there's nothing to do there. Um, I was the fourth in line to the throne in our family. We were, mum and dad were very strict Irish Catholics and, you know, it wasn't a case of if they said jump, you didn't ask how high, you just kept jumping until they told you to stop jumping. And um, the church featured very much in our family. You know, if there was an envelope being opened in the church, my mother would drag us all up there um, in our Sunday rest to be seen there. And so from the outside looking in, like dad was the headmaster of the local school, Mam obviously was his wife, and there were six of us little ducks that used to be marched up to the churches for any any reason. Like, and I remember as a child learning in school that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus is your father, and Jesus loves you. And then on the other hand, you be told by the missionary priests that you're going to burn in hell if you step out of line, if you either step left or right. And I was always a kind of a precocious child and I did an awful lot of reading and um, I remember my head being very confused or very conflicted between this supposed being who loved us very much but would then send us to hell so I remember even as a child being conflicted about that but of course you couldn't say anything out loud in our house because you get the absolute living daylights bet out of you if you even suggested that so on the outside looking in it was a lovely Brady Bunch type family and we were all happy clappy but behind closed doors it wasn't like that at all um, I was very much the black sheep of the family because my favourite word was why and uh, my mother didn't appreciate that very much and uh, the wooden spoon featured very very much in the relationship between my mother and I uh, not so much with the others um, and when I was nine, my innocence was taken away. I'm not going to go into too much graphic detail about that because I don't know whether to trigger other people or not, but I'm sure you can imagine what I'm talking about. And I ran to my mother for help, for just a haven, I suppose, for safety, for comfort. And that's not what I got. I'm pardon my language, but I got seven shades of shit leathered out of me and I was told I was useless. I was told I was dirty. I was told I was good for nothing and I was told I was never to tell anyone. So in my child's mind at the time, the lesson that showed me, apart from the fact that you cannot trust adults, particularly men, um, 
was that you don't ask for help ever. No matter what's going on, you paddle your own canoe and you get on with it. And um, we were all sent to boarding school because my mother didn't think that the local high school was posh enough for the, for the master's children. Um, and so we were all shipped off to boarding school. I didn't mind because I loved school. I was a geek. I am a geek. I look like a geek. I behave like a geek. That's just the way it is. So the more I could learn, the happier I was. And I'm still the same. But uh, I was bullied mercilessly in secondary school because I was a geek and because I wasn't cool and because I wasn't hip like the rest of them. And um, and I threw myself into learning and I threw myself into playing the piano. And loads of people used to come and say, God, she loves reading and she loves playing the piano. And I did. But the main reason I loved it was because it was an escape for me and I could escape away from what was going on around me. So if I was practicing the piano for four hours, it was like four hours respite from the shit I was getting on the outside. And then I went to university and I trained to be a teacher. And I, I mean, I was always a bit of an odd hawk. Like, you know, I really was. I didn't know what the rules of society were. I didn't know what the rules were to make friends and I didn't certainly didn't know the rules how to keep friends. And it was kind of like, you know, if I was friends, we'd say with Mark, for example, and then Tom showed up and I think, oh, God, you know, I kind of like to be friends with him. So I would pretend to Mark that I liked what he liked. And then if Tom liked something different, I'd pr pretend to him that I liked what he liked so that I would fit in. And it's really exhausting. All these masks and all these faces that you put on to fit in with people when really I didn't fit in with anyone. I was definitely the epitome of a of a round peg in a square hole. And um, I mean, I, I, I still can be to a certain degree, but it doesn't bother me as much now. I think um, as you age, you give less of a shit what people think about you. But then when I left university fully qualified as a teacher, I knew that the only way to escape the cosh of my mother was to get married. So... Shortly after I started my first teaching job in the town nearest to where we grew up, which was 22 miles away, which at the time was sufficient distance between myself and my mother, I was introduced to this guy. And uh, I had had no experience at all, none. I was in a convent boarding school, so um, my experience of dealing with lads was very limited because prior to that, you know, even going out like to discos or night well dances they were nighttime but I'm saying discos to explain this to those of you who mightn't be as bloody old as I am. Um and uh, we weren't allowed out very often. I presume the thought would be poisoned by something. But um so I met this guy anyway and three weeks after I met him he asked me to marry him. And I said yes. Now, it was absolutely of no relevance who he was. It didn't matter if it was Postman Pat or Barney the Dinosaur. I would have said yes, just to get away from my mother. So he went to England because work was scarce in Ireland. And I followed him like a devoted little Irish Catholic fool. And, um, and I went. And we had absolutely nothing in common apart from the fact that both of us were human. And when I look back at it now, it's kind of doubtful whether he ever was. but. Went over anyway, and it was talk about out of the frying pan into the fire, because we went to a place in London that was predominantly Irish, where the men were allowed to do whatever the hell they wanted. The women were allowed to go out to the pub on a Sunday, maybe, 
as long as the dinner was prepared. And when I think about it, no, I mean, if anyone suggested that to me now, I can't even repeat what I would say to them. But uh, that's just the way it was. It's just the way it was. And I still didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I was. I didn't know what I liked or what I didn't like because my likes and dislikes depended on who I was sitting beside at the time. And um, I, I just did all this to fit in because I hadn't a Scooby-Doo who I was, not a notion. And just to show you how, how absolutely daft it was and the lengths I would go to to fit in, one of the girls had a baby and I could see all the hoo-ha and all the, you know, the baby showers and the baby christens and da-da-da. And I thought, oh, well, I'd like to have a baby too because that might make me accepted. So what did I do? Got pregnant. I didn't do it on my own, I have to say. I did have help. But um, And anyway, Matthew was born in London. And I should have known. That, you know, if I knew then what I know now, I'd be a wiser woman, but I didn't. And once Matthew was born, that was the first nail in the coffin of my, I, I wouldn't even call it a marriage. I mean, it was because we had a bit of paper to say that we were married, but it wasn't really because there was no meeting of minds. And uh, when Matthew was two, we decided to move home to Ireland. Um, so we did. And I discovered because I had never discovered it before then, being the innocent, good guardian that I was, that there was such a thing as an off-licence. So when he used to go out and get absolutely rat-arsed at the weekend, I discovered that I could go to one of the 14 off-licences that was in the town, which was great because, you see, I could go to a different one every time I went, which meant that none of them knew how often I was drinking. And, you know, I could get a few... I mean, I wasn't drinking alcoholically at that time but when I look back on it now it was the secrecy of it and the teehee nobody knows that I'm getting hanged when he's gone out and we would be in bed and well behaved by the time he got home and then I became pregnant again in 1994 and I was pregnant with twins the marriage was absolutely it was just the biggest shambles and uh, became pregnant with twins when I was five months pregnant. I discovered they were dead. And I had to give birth to them because of the silly abortion laws that were in Ireland at the time. That meant that they couldn't just take them. You had to go through the whole labour, carry on. And my beloved and ever-loving husband went off on the piss with his mates while I was, bless me, martyr that I am, was going through all this, you know. And it was horrible. It was awful. And it was it, it traumatised me at the time. But the day, it took about eight days for the whole procedure to, to happen. And the day they were being buried, uh, it was just, it was horrible. My mother kept telling me to say thanks to the priest. And I couldn't even speak. But anyway, so the, on the way back home after the funeral, I asked him to stop at an off license. And I don't think he even knew I knew those words. But... uh. I think I was that sketchy mentally that day that he was afraid of saying no to anything I asked for. And I bought a bottle of brandy. I had never drank brandy in my life. And when we got home, I was absolutely, I was physically exhausted. I was emotionally exhausted. I was traumatised from what had happened. And I just wanted to stop my head. 
And I dragged that bottle of brandy, no glass, just me and the bottle. And uh, and I discovered that day that it was an anesthetic, not just for, not just for what had happened that day, but for everything that had gone before. You know, they've been told you're useless and good for nothing and dirty and blah 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 blah. None of that mattered when I had this golden liquid inside of me that was actually burning the stomach out of me, but it didn't matter at that day. And um. And I had found the answer to everything because it didn't matter that he was whatever he was, you know. I mean, I you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that he was Satan either, because I was no painted angel like. But um, you know, there was two two of us fools in the marriage, you know. And um we had two more children after that, because obviously the the, the solution to a shit marriage is to have more kids. And uh, we had three kids all together. And then when Sarah, my my youngest at the time, when she was eight months old, I discovered that he was cheating on me with my best friend's mother, which was a bit of a kick in the teeth because at the time I was a size, what you'd call in America, you'd call it a size six, but to us over here, it's a size 10. And uh, I was in good shape. You know, I looked all right, whatever. And... And he was sleeping with my best friend's mother, who was 58, and, and definitely was no oil painting. like. And so the day I found out, I found out because my best friend came to the house and said, where's your effing husband? And I said, well, he's not here. I said, he went out last night. I presume he's staying with his mate. And she said, he's not. She said, I know exactly where he is. And I said, well, why are you asking me if you know? And she said, he's in bed with my mother. So... Being the devious, manipulative alcoholic that I am, when he came home, I said nothing, smiled sweetly, and I had prepared his dinner as a good Irish wife does, and it was stew. And he said, are you not eating? I said, no, no, we've eaten already. And he said it was the nicest stew I had ever made. What he didn't know at the time, he knows it now because I told him since, was that it was made with your very finest dog food, very finest. It was the expensive stuff, like. And, uh, and he ate us. And it didn't kill him. And at the time, that's what I wanted. I wanted to kill him. It didn't kill him. And, I, you know, I was feeling, as they say, restless, irritable and discontent because it didn't kill him. But it made him very sick for three days. And the toilet was his best friend. And after the three days when he had recovered from his terrible, mysterious illness, I packed his bags and threw him out. And then I was on my own with the kids, which is what I wanted. But then... I didn't want him, but I didn't want anyone else to have him. And this kind of nutty, just mental crap. Oh, stop. Mental carry on. And the drink featured more and more and more. And uh, eventually social services got involved. And I wasn't particularly worried because I was a teacher in a three-bedroom semi-detached with a new car sitting outside the gate, sitting outside and social workers don't take teachers' kids. You know, they take t- teachers, they take kids from ghetto areas and poverty-stricken areas, but they don't take teachers' kids. Wrong, Noreen, they do, and they did. And you would think that that would be enough to make me stop drinking. You would think that any mother who was told, we're going to take your kids if you don't stop drinking, would that something, the maternal instinct would switch on and be stronger than anything. In my case, it didn't. So they took the kids, it was on the 24th of January, 2003. I had been to AA in 2001 when these two women came to my house and 
um, in Ireland, it's known as a drink problem or fond of the drink. Fond of the drink in Ireland usually means that you're paralytic 99% of the time. But these women arrived and said that they had been told that they should come and bring me to a meeting because they heard that I had a problem with drink. I was absolutely outraged. The only problem I had with drink was that I had two hands and one mouth that I couldn't get it into me fast enough. But anyway, because they were well-dressed and they were well-spoken and they were the kind of people that teachers should be seen with, because I was a teacher, don't you know, and very important in my own head, I said I would go. So I went and they were all very well-dressed people. And I thought there's something wrong here because there's none of them as an alky, because they don't look like an alky. And they were reading, it was chapter three. I know now it was after the time I had to glue what they were reading. But they were talking about incomprehensible demoralization. And the guy that was reading the chapter was stumbling over the words. And it all became really clear to me then the reason they had brought me. They had brought me not because I had a problem with drink, because obviously I didn't, but they had brought me because I was a teacher. And they wanted me to help these poor people to read the big words in this famous book. So anyway, I stuck around for a while waiting for someone to ask me to help them to, to help them to read. Stuck it for about six weeks. No one asked me to help them to read. I was horrified. And then after the six weeks, I thought, this is a load of shit. This is just shit. Nobody's talking about drink. Nobody looks like an alcoholic. And this nonsense of the first drink and get you drunk is the biggest load of codswallop I've ever heard in my life because one drink never got me drunk. So first of all, I was going to rewrite the big book because obviously the words were too big for the poor peasants who weren't teachers and couldn't read them. And then I was going to prove to you all that the first drink doesn't get you drunk. So off I toddled home, past the off-license, obviously, and I poured myself a lovely glass of wine in a Waterford crystal glass I had won that survived the delights of our marriage. So that Waterford crystal glass didn't last very long because I was soon onto the pint glasses and then it was straight out of the bottle. And 18 months later, I had lost... The kids didn't go at that stage, it was after that. But during that 18-month bender, the kids went, the house went, the nice posh teacher job went any moral compass that I had went any friends that I had went and I lost the use of my legs and I wanted to die every day I woke up I wanted to die but on the 21st of November 2003 I woke up when I regained consciousness or whatever after an almighty bender and I didn't want to die I mean I felt like shit but I didn't want to die and I rang Maggie, one of those two women, and I told her I needed help. And to cut a long story short, she brought me back to AA. And, um, and I didn't really give a shit that day whether anyone could read anything, because I couldn't even walk, never mind talk. And I was told to get a female sponsor because it's men for men and women for women. And I thought, no, I'm not doing that because you're not going to tell me what to do. So I got a male sponsor because in my experience, um, men were easier to replace. So I thought I'd get myself a nice, soft, cushy male sponsor who would pat me on the head and say, good girl, you'll be all right. I asked a guy called Big John from Donegal to be my sponsor. He was named Big John for a very good reason. He was a big lad like. And he didn't pat me on the head. 
He didn't say good girlie. He kicked me up the arse, not literally, and told me what I needed to do to save my life because otherwise I was going to die. He never told me that I could never drink again. He told me I would never need to drink again. He did bring me through the steps. I didn't really like the amount of godology that was in them, but I did them anyway because I knew if I didn't, I was going to die. And eventually things started to click into place. And, you know, they used to say you'd have a life beyond your wildest dreams, which I thought was bullshit. Like I thought this was absolutely never going to happen to me. Might happen for the rest of you. Wasn't going to happen to me. Um, I was a very cynical, cynical. He used to call me the pit bull because I'd snap if he said anything. But, you know, I got sober and my life started to get better, even though I didn't want to believe what you guys were saying. Life beyond me wildest dreams. Not, not for me. But it happened. And then as time went on, I started to question more this godology part of it. I really did. Because it was like, it was more or less telling me there was only one way to do this. And I thought, mm, as we say in Ireland, there's more than one way to skin a cat. So then I found Secular A over here. And then myself, my friend David, set up a secular meeting here in Newcastle upon Tyne. And then COVID started, and I've been secular zooming around the world since then. And, you know, I find for myself that Secular A has given me a richer sobriety than the traditional A could because, you know, there's no none of this hand things over to someone else. Because as a manipulative alcoholic, that's exactly what I want. If I get an electricity bill, I don't want to pay. Well, if I hand it over to a higher power... They should look after it, shouldn't they? They don't. So with the secular aid, the responsibility for my behaviour and my sobriety is firmly in my lap. And I love that because I, I'm not the kind of person that, will, you know, it'll be all right. Just pray. It'll be all right. Bollocks to that. If there's something wrong with you, get on with it and sort it. That's the kind of person I am. I'm, I'm extremely blunt. And that could be, well, I like to blame it on the fact that I was diagnosed with autism, but that, that could be a part of it, but part of it is just because I'm blunt. And um, I started a job, Mark knows this, I was telling him I started a job teaching in a prison on Tuesday, and I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. There are thugs and there are murderers and there are the devil knows what they've done. And you know what? They think that I am the absolute bee's knees and the cat's pyjamas for some reason because I don't take any bullshit from them and I have a smart mouth. And, and you know, there's nothing they can say to me that I won't have a smart answer from. And I teach maths and English. And, you know, there's a part of me besides the big gobby Irish mammy, I'm pure soft on the inside and I would help anyone and they know that. And I love it. And, you know, it's because I got sober and because I built myself up from being told I was shite, from being told I was useless and dirty, you know, with the support of guys like you in, in rooms like this and other rooms, I started to believe that, you know what, there was a good knowing behind all that, what I was told, and that just because your mother tells you you're shite doesn't mean it's true, you know, and but it took a lot of proving, and it took a lot of looking in the mirror and saying, you're all right, you know. Just for today, you're all right. Just do the next right thing. So now I'm 19, I'm coming up on 20 years sober in November if I make it that far. And uh, and I can finally say I'm proud of Noreen. 
I'm happy with who Noreen is. Yes, I'm slightly left of centre. Yes, I'm a gobby Irish woman. Yes, I have an Irish mammy attitude that can shut you up in two minutes if I want to. But I like who I am today. You know, my kids, I fought for them and got them back from social services, which was, and I will say it, and I will boast, I was the first person in Ireland to ever get their kids out of court order and foster care. And, um, and they love me and they trust me. And they asked me for advice, which I find quite bizarre because I was the woman who was pissed all the time when they were kids. Like, And my eldest son is 32 and he'd ring up and say, Mom, I need your advice. And one, you must be really stuck like if you need my advice. But there you go. And I love them and I would do anything for them and they know it. And that's because I got sober. And that's because AA dragged my arse through what it dragged me through and then secular AA got me. And turned me into a responsible alky. Who knew that those two words would be put in the one sentence? Um, anyway, I'm going to stop talking. I'm Irish and we could talk the head off a lettuce and I would probably keep talking all night if you let me, but I'm not going to. So there you go, Tom. Thank you.